Ishmael we know, Isaac we do not know, and we're introduced to him today for the first time, and uh, we're going to have to think today. I'm going to put that out there right at the beginning. Some of you might come in, I'm not sure, you might come in on cruise control, and and just I'm just going to listen. And if you're just listening today, you're going to get lost quick. So some of you aren't used to thinking this early in the morning, uh, maybe even not on on Sundays, but you've got to put your thinking cap on today. Uh, It's not just what we're reading today. It is not just to be taken literally, though it is. Um, It's also, Paul would tell us later, and we'll read it in Galatians 4, that we're to look at this passage allegorically, uh, figuratively. So there is a deep meaning here in these two children, Isaac and Ishmael. But one of them will be called the child of the flesh, and the other one will be called the child of the promise. And you all are either a child of flesh or you're a child of the promise. And I don't know who's who. God knows who's who. But it's something that we need to sort out. Are you a child of the flesh? Or are you a child of the promise? Are you the seed of Ishmael? Or are you the seed of Isaac? These are the questions we have to, we have to work through. So we're going to go about it by reading these two sections. The first uh, seven verses of chapter 7. And then verses 8 through 21. We'll go through. Make sure we understand exactly what is taking place here. Then we'll go to the New Testament and we'll, we'll, we'll read Paul's words because he refers back to Genesis 21 in Galatians 4 and in Romans chapter 9. So we want to see what Paul has to say and make sure that we're understanding what God has for us today. So let's pray and we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us here today. And thank you for creating us. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for your providential blessings. For sunshine, uh, for rain, for cool days, for friendship, for shelter, for safety, for health. And thank you, God, some of us would say, for your covenantal blessings. God, thank you for saving us and sanctifying us and keeping us. I would pray for all of us here today that we would hear from you. That your word would penetrate through deeply into our dull minds and into our some of us, our cold hearts, our stony hearts. That if your word needs to be a hammer today, that it would be a hammer. That you would break through any callousness and bring truth that will set people free. Thank you for Moses, God. Thank you for inspiring him to write everything that we read here in the book of Genesis. So whatever you have for us today, God, we gladly welcome it as from you, your word, and by your spirit. So thank you, Lord. 
We pray these things. We ask these things in the great name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So let's start with the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 21. If you have your Bible, open up and you can read with me. We'll go one verse at a time. Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. The two phrases to note right away. As he had said, and as he had promised. Now, what is this talking about? God does something here, and it's according to, Moses tells us, as he had said he was going to do, and as he had promised he was going to do. So we could go back and look at all the chapters before here to get a hold of what it is that God said that he was going to do. And 30 years ago, 30 years ago, God adopted Abraham. Abraham didn't love God, didn't know God, was living among, uh, amongst a pagan people who worshipped other gods. God adopted him out of that, brought him into his family, introduced himself as the one true God, became his heavenly father and told Abraham, okay, you're going to follow me now. You're going to serve me. And Abraham said, yes, God. And God told Abraham, he said, I'm going to work with you and I'm going to work with your family and I'm going to work with your family line and your people for generations. And I'm going to rescue sinful people in this world through you and through your offspring. This was a big deal to Abraham. He's about 70 years old. His wife was 60 years old at the time. And they had no children. They'd all but given up on children. But God told them, I'm going to give you, not only am I going to give you a child, I'm going to give you great offspring. Right? Your descendants, if you want to know how many there's going to be, look at the stars in the sky. Look at the sand on the seashore. You can't count the stars. You can't count the sand. That's how big your family is going to be. That's how many kids I'm going to give you. And there's going to be one particular child. There's going to be one particular offspring that's going to come eventually. And he is going to be uh, the Savior. He's going to be the Messiah. And he is going to rescue, rescue um, God's people from the great enemy and his great weapon. Okay? Satan and sin. The dragon and sin. And we, of course, know this to be Jesus Christ. But it all started back with this man in the wilderness, Abraham, and God saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to make your family great. And one day a rescuer will come from your family and he will save. He will save my people. So God was saying that he would love a people and walk with a people and bless the people. Abraham and his wife and those following him would be fruitful. They would multiply. And one day God would send a special child who would grow up, who would slay the dragon. This special child would be God himself. And one year ago now, from this day in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, one year ago, God came in person, the angel of the Lord. God came in person and told Abraham and Sarah, specifically Sarah, that in one year you'll have a baby boy in your arms. Okay, and the the beginning, if you will, of my great promises, the beginning of my my rescue plan will literally be unfolding in your arms. I'm going to send the promised son. Chapter 18, verse 10. The Lord said 
I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Did God mean what he said? God meant what he said. Because one year later, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Exactly how God said he was going to do it. Exactly when God said he was going to do it. Okay, the point here is, is simple. It's clear. God is faithful. God is faithful. We can't say that enough. We can't sing about that enough. There are simple truths about God that that are not simply remembered by us. And this would be one of them. That needs to be reiterated over and over and over again. We're a forgetful people. We don't forget the verses. You know, we memorize verses. We memorize truths. But we, we forget them in the sense that we fail to believe them. That's why God is always telling his people, remember, 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 remember. Do not forget. Do not forget. Do not forget. And we cannot be reminded enough that God is faithful. If God says he's going to do something, God does it. If God makes a promise, God fulfills his promise. If God says, I'll be there. He will be there. If God says, I will always. Then God will always. If God says he will never do this, then God will never do this. But God is always faithful to keep his promises. Now, Abraham and Sarah had every reason to doubt that God would be faithful. They had every reason to doubt that this ridiculous promise would would come true. And here they are a year later. Sarah's 90 years old and she's got her baby boy. God is faithful. God is faithful. Always, forever. Verse 3. And Sarah conceived, sorry, verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Verse 4, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. So here's what just happened. Verses 1 and 2, God is faithful. God initiates. Verse 3 and 4, Abraham responds faithfully. Okay, so God initiates, we respond. This is always the pattern. Some of you have been raised to believe or raised to think that it works the opposite. That we initiate and God responds. This is not the way the universe works. God initiates and we respond. And if God does not initiate, there's nothing for us to respond to. But God must initiate and then we are called to and must respond. So God is faithful to Abraham. He gives him the son. And then Abraham responds faithfully, obediently in two ways. 
The first is that he names his son Isaac. Okay, because God told him what? To name his son Isaac. Okay, he and Sarah don't say, you know, they don't, they don't say to themselves, we don't really like the sound of that. Uh, we're worried about the nicknames that will be associated with that. Uh, they didn't take a poll. They didn't ask their family. Just God said name him Isaac, so you name him Isaac. So they obeyed God in how they named their son, and then he obeyed God by on the eighth day, it says that Abraham circumcised his son. And if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 12 and verse 19, we would find God instructing them. You're going to have a child. You're going to name him Isaac and you're going to circumcise him. In fact, at that time, God said, I want you to circumcise yourself, Abraham. I want you to circumcise everyone in your family. So what we have here is Abraham responding faithfully and he is obeying God. He circumcises his son, which is not merely a a physical thing. It's a a physical sign that is pointing to something spiritual and something inward. And when Abraham does this faithfully to his son, what he is communicating and will communicate to his son Isaac is that we are cut off as a people. We are different. We are set apart. God has set us apart, if you will, from the bad tree that will wither, will die, and we belong to God. And so Abraham is faithful. Abraham is obedient. We're going to find as we read on that Abraham's a pretty good dad. There's a lot of men in your Bible who are heroes of the faith, who are lousy fathers. David is an example. David is an example, a man after God's own heart. And yet you see sins of David and his family are great, grievous. Not the best husband, not the best father. Abraham's Abraham's a good father. Abraham's a good father. And he's starting off. He's starting off really well. He's starting off really well by by dedicating his son to God. That's what he's doing. This is not my child. God, this is, this is your child, and you have entrusted him to me. Now, all dads should have this perspective. All fathers should have this perspective. Children do not just need to be sired by men. Right? They need to be fathered. Little boys, little girls need a father. We need men who are not just interested in procreation, but men who are interested in fatherhood. Men that are not just interested in producing children, but in producing good fruit. Men who are not just interested in multiplying. Okay? But what did God say? Be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. So what Abraham is doing is from the very birth of his son, Isaac, is he is committing to bring him up, as we are called to in Ephesians 6. Abraham is committing to bring Isaac up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is a good word for us to hear today. And it's another good reminder. Right throughout history, there are different things that we need to be reminded of. And we would have to say that that we live in a culture today where there is a great hunger for fathers. Because there's a difference between uh, 
passive parenting and active fathering. There's a difference between that. Okay, passive parenting is basically ignoring your children, which is pandemic today. Passive parenting is ignoring your children. Now, some fathers, many fathers today, ignore their children declaratively by abandoning them. They just abandon their children. They just leave. Some of you grew up and dad was not around. Dad was not around because he ignored you declaratively. He declared, I'm gone. I'm leaving. He abandoned you and ignored you. However, that's not the only way that many fathers today ignore their children. A more subtle way that fathers ignore their children is through abdication. The problem isn't only abandonment. The problem is abdication. Abdication happens when a father is there, but he's really not there. Some of you grew up with that dad. He was there. He didn't abandon me. I know him. There's a relationship with him. I see him. But though he was there and in the home, he had abdicated and given up his responsibility. He was a passive parent, but he wasn't an active father. And some of you have picked up on that because you see other dads and how they are with their children. Or you read, as we do, or you take a class and you hear how God calls moms and dads to raise their children. And then all of a sudden, you realize that, well, that is not what I had growing up. Now, what you had growing up maybe was what everybody else had around you growing up. And so you didn't think there was anything to it. It was no big deal. It wasn't really weird. It didn't stand out. It's only later in life. Some of you, as you get brought into the church and you see godly moms and you see godly dads and you read about godly moms and godly dads and you hear about a call to motherhood and a call to fatherhood. And all of a sudden you realize you didn't have a good father. You didn't have a godly father. And many of you, you had a father, you had a dad who was there, but he wasn't really there. Everyone has a father positionally, but not everyone has a father practically. We could almost say that that that's true for most fathers in our culture today, most children in our culture today. I mean, you've all got a dad positionally. Someone is in that position in your life, whether you know him or don't know him. But do you have a father practically? One who fathers you. A, a good father who is present and with you and invested and affirming you and loving you and raising you and declaring you? Or is it a bad father who's not present? Now, here's the tragedy of all of this and why it's so, so important. The tragedy of a bad father is that he is still a father. He's still a father. This is what I mean by that. That he holds the position. But whatever your father was like, whatever your father is like, he's your father. Whether he was one practically or not. Good father, bad father, doesn't matter. He holds the office, if you will, positionally in your life. And so this father, a bad father, by his ways, teaches his children what a father is and who God the father is. And so what does a bad father do? Does a bad father lie or tell the truth to his children about who God the Father is? This is who you are, dads. This is who Abraham is as a dad and as a father. 
Because later Isaac is going to grow up and Isaac is supposed to refer to the God in heaven as his what? His heavenly father. So the question is, what kind of baggage are our children going to bring to the first line of the Lord's prayer? This is why many young men and many young women struggle so greatly with the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Because what images are first conjured up in our minds when we say, Our Father who art in heaven. Our fathers who are on earth. And so whoever our fathers are on earth, if we're going to call God our Father, Without some teaching and correction, we will assume that this is how God our Father is. So the tragedy of a bad father is that he teaches his children lies about who God is. Even a father who abandons and leaves his children, it's not like he opts out of fathering them, right? Oh, he fathers them. And he teaches his children that a father abandons and that a father leaves. But he teaches them. So a father cannot opt out of fathering, but he can write a blasphemous and tragic spoof to his kids about God. And this is what is happening. In in perhaps most families today. So we need to see Abraham. We have many young dads in this church. We have many dads to be in this church. Take note. How Abraham begins. This child is not mine. This child belongs to you, God. This child belongs to you. He commits this child to God. For God's glory, not Abraham's. Not Abraham's. Verses 5 through 7. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Okay, some of you are getting tired of hearing how old Abraham and Isaac, right? It's the, it's the joke that just won't go away. Sermon after sermon. Now, it's not me. I hope you understand. It is not me who keeps bringing this up. The Bible keeps bringing it up. And some of you are like, okay, we get it. I know, Abraham is old. He is 100 years old. I get it. His wife is old. She's 90 years old. But the Bible really wants to drive that point home. That Abraham and Sarah are old. It repeats the fact over and over and over again. Just in this first section, in verse 2, in verse 5, in verse 7. They are old. Abraham is a century old. Sarah is 90 years old. Everyone is wearing diapers in this family. Everyone's getting their food mashed up. No one's got teeth. No one's walking in a straight line. They are old. Get this in our minds. 100 years old. 90 years old. Which is why we need to get that. Which is why Sarah is, verse 6, laughing. What did you all just do? I was trying to help you do that. You laughed. Good. Laugh. Because what is Sarah doing in verse 6? She's laughing. Why is she laughing? She's 90. And she's nursing a baby boy. She's 90. Verse 6. 
And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me, including, right, thousands of years later in Roseville. Right? Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son, here it is again, in his old age. They named their son Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. Laughter. Now there is such a thing, okay, because laughter has been a big deal in the last few chapters in Genesis, right? There is such a thing as unbelieving laughter and believing laughter. Right? There's a distinction. So unbelieving laughter we see in chapter 18. Do you remember Sarah's unbelieving laughter? She wasn't laughing with God. She was laughing at God. Because God came, came and made a promise. said, listen, in a year you're going to have a baby. And she looks at herself and she's 89. And she starts cracking up. And she's laughing because she doesn't believe that that's possible. Okay, it's, it's a mocking of God. But this is not a good laughter. Laughing at God is not good. But there's a distinction, isn't there? between an unbelieving laughter and then what we have here is a commendable laughter. In chapter 21, there is a believing laughter. Is she laughing now because she doesn't believe that God can give her a child? Well, no, because what does she have? A child. But she's still laughing, but it's very different. She's not rebuked for this laughter. This is a good laughter. It's a good laughter that, that just is, is, is filled with joy. Have you ever just laughed because you're just so filled with joy? You're happy. You're laughing because you're happy. And you, you're so excited that God has blessed you in some way. This is the kind of laughter here. Psalm 126 talks about this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So this is believing laughter. This is good laughter that we have in Sarah now because God has blessed her with the son that she's always, always wanted. Okay, so that's our first section. The birth of Isaac, verses 1 through 7. Now let's move to verses 8 through 21. 8 through 21. And here we have God protecting Hagar and Ishmael. Let's begin with verse 8. And the child grew. This is Isaac. And the child grew and was weaned. He's no longer nursing. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Here's what's happening here. A child in this day would normally nurse until he's about three, maybe four years old. And then the child would be weaned. And the reason that a child was nursed so long com comparatively to, to most today was because of such a high infant mortality rate. The infant mortality rate was through the roof. More infants died than lived in this day and under these conditions. So you would nurse a child as long as you could to get good nutrients to the child as long as you possibly could. And so on the day that the child is weaned, it's cause for great celebration. 
It's great celebration. And so they would throw a party. It would be, it, this would be Isaac's first birthday party. Okay. The infant mortality rate was so high that, that many parents wouldn't even name their children the first few months of their life. Wouldn't even name their children. So this is a very, very big deal. It means, in their mind, it means God is letting this child live. God is not taking this child. Okay, he's healthy, he's viable, he's going to survive, right? He's made it. So it's cause for big celebration, over the top, through the roof. Okay, so Abraham throws a large feast for his son. Okay, we understand this in our family. Birthday parties, adoption parties are a really big deal in our home. Really big deal. We'll spend up to a month getting ready for a birthday party. Really big deal. Celebrating the life of these children that God has given to us. So this is what's happening here with Isaac. So picture him. You need to have him before you in your mind's eye. He's probably somewhere between three and four years old. Which means that he is probably about the age of my son, Blaze. I was going to show you a picture, decided not to do it, just so you could, you could have uh, Blaze just turned four years old. Right, so when I'm reading this story, okay, I'm thinking, I'm reading about Isaac, I'm thinking of my little four-year-old son, Blaze. Okay, so some of you have seen Blaze running around here with a, a sword down his pants. Okay, that's Isaac. That is Isaac in our story. Blaze is a crack-up. He is a little treasure uh, to us in, in our home. Funniest little kid. Goes out with mom, likes to wear his pajamas and rain boots and a weapon of some sort. Just in case someone tries to mess with mom or little sister, he's ready to go. She showed, sent me a picture the other day. I'm at work and she sends me a picture. And, and, and she's in the car taking a picture through the windshield Okay, and Blaze is on the hood of the car. And he's on the hood of the car, and he, is, uh, he, he has developed his own superhero, his own uh, alter identity, and he's Ultraman. He just made this up. He's Ultraman, and when he's Ultraman, he covers as much of his body as possible in masking tape, and he puts on dish gloves, and then he finds a weapon, and he runs around the house saying, I am Ultraman, and he has, and he has a purple jump rope. So we're trying to work on that. And he's using this as a weapon. So he's up on the hood of her car and he's tying this jump rope to the roof rack of our Suburban. The other day we're headed downtown. I literally had to pull over on the highway and I'm getting out of the car because I've got to untie this jump rope because it's just banging on the top of my car. Well, Ultraman, Ultraman did that. It protects the car, you see. It protects the car. At night, he comes to us, and, and before he goes to bed, he wants to dance. And so he has us put on a, a Tayo Cruz dynamite, and we put this on, and he just dances, like break dances on the floor, you know, before he's, now he's, now he's ready for bed. You know, once you take care of that, he's good to go. So as I'm reading this story, a couple of stories for you, this is who I'm thinking of, right? Little blonde-haired Blaze. If you want to wait second service, and you'll, you'll see him. So this is, this is, this is Isaac here. Just a little, just a little sweet boy. Okay, verse 9. Okay, verse 9. We'll take this one verse at a time now. 
But Sarah saw, this is the way there, we're at the birthday party, right? The big deal birthday party. Verse 9, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Uh-oh. That's not good. The word laughing here, it may also be translated mocking in your Bible. It means that the son of Hagar, who is Ishmael, is at the very least making fun of Isaac. But it might also mean that he's actually beating him up. He's being physical with him. Okay, how old is Ishmael? Well, Ishmael was 14 years old when Isaac was born. So Ishmael's about 17 now. So here you have a 17-year-old boy making fun of a 3-year-old boy. A 17-year-old boy pushing around a 3-year-old boy. You, you don't do this. But you especially don't do this in front of the boy's mama. Right? You don't do this in front of the boy's mama. You especially don't do this in front of the boy's mama who has been waiting her whole life for a child and finally got one when she was 90. 90. You don't make fun of her three-year-old baby boy, Isaac. This is a really big deal. Okay, my boys and I call my wife, one of her nicknames is Mama Bear. Okay, we call my wife Mama Bear. Because I have had to talk her out of hurting people several times in our marriage because of the way they were treating one of our boys. I've had to go to people and say, listen, you just need to... You need to walk away and get your affairs in order because this, this might just get ugly and I'm not going to be able to protect you. I'm doing all that I can. But this is, this is what? This is Mama Bear. Moms, do you understand how Sarah felt? Moms, you understand how Sarah felt. You got your three-year-old baby, some 17-year-old punk kid. Right? So it's coming up and pushing this child around. Right? Maybe hitting the child. You're not going to let go and let God that moment. You're going to get a hold of that boy. Well, apparently, give her some credit. Sarah handled this well for 17 years. Right? She's handled this well for 17 years, but she has had enough. Uh, Ishmael's a young man now. He's 17 years old. We learned in chapter 16, verse 12, that he was going to be, God said, a wild donkey of a man. You're going to see he becomes a bow hunter. This is a tough, this is a tough guy. This is a tough guy. So he's most likely being aggressive. Sarah probably sees something here that is very alarming and she's not going to let her son suffer by him. Now, there is something interesting to note right here, though. Is to remember why Hagar and Ishmael are in this home in the first place. Do you remember the story? Right, if we go back, you remember Sarah had felt pressure because... God had made a promise to her husband that he's going to have a son. And she's looking at herself thinking, I'm not going to be able to give a son to my husband. And so she pushes him into the arms of their maidservant, Hagar. This was her idea. 
And her idea was that then Hagar would have a son and then Sarah would raise a son. And it did not it did not work out the way that she thought it was going to work out. So Sarah is mad because her plan worked. Right. Her plan actually went well. This is what she planned, that her husband would sleep with the maidservant, that her maidservant would have a child. But of course, her plan was not a good plan and it has not it has not worked out well. So what's Sarah going to do? How is she going to what's the next verse? She put Ishmael in a headlock. That might be what we would expect. What does she do? Verse 10. So she said to Abraham. So who does she go to? Baby's daddy. Right? Going to go to Ishmael's father. She goes straight to Abraham. And she says, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my Son, Isaac. Can you hear her tone as she says this? Can you see her face? Is she blinking? No. Is is her finger wagging? Are her wrists on her hips? Right. You picture Sarah. Sarah's hot right now. She's angry right now. She doesn't even refer to them by name. Your slave woman. Like she has a name. Her name is Hagar. And her son has a name, and his name is Ishmael. That's not what she says. Your slave woman and your son. And what does she tell Abraham to do? You need to kick them out. I want them out of here. My son is in danger. If you would have seen what I just saw, I want you to cast out, she says, kick them out, send them away, the slave woman and your son. Verse 11 through 14. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. So we're going to see here that Sarah is mad. Abraham is, is sad. Okay, this saddens him. I mean, this was, this was bound not to go well. Okay, so this is, Ab- this is, this is Abraham... And his wife and their son and Abraham's girlfriend and their son. And they're all living in the same home. This is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. But both of these boys, Isaac and Ishmael, both of them are Abraham's boys. He does not want to choose between them. They're both his sons. He loves both of them. Depending on your translation, it could say that he was distressed. This was grievous to him. This is depressing to him. He does not want to have to choose between his boys. So he's in a tough spot right here. How's he going to do this? How's he going to, how's he going to love his son Isaac? How's he going to love his son Ishmael? How's he going to love his wife and live with her in an understanding way? How is he going to work this out? So he's greatly discouraged, verse 11 says. In verse 12 and 13, God, God sees his pain and God actually eases his pain. What does God say in 12 and 13? But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. 
Whatever, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is where we're going to need to start to really think. Let me read this verse again. So God said to Abraham, listen, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. So the first thing he says is, listen, don't be sad. Don't be sad. Okay, I know Sarah wants you to send away Hagar and your boy, Ishmael. But don't be sad. And then God gives him the reason. Okay, do, do, do not be sad. Do not be discouraged. Do not be depressed. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. So go ahead. Listen. Listen to your wife. This is surprising, isn't it? This is surprising. Because this sounded like a sinful request on Sarah's part. You can't send them away. This would actually have been against common law of the day and against custom of the day. You can't just send this woman out with nothing and send this child out with nothing and out of your care and out of your provision. They're dependent on you. So God's counsel here is surprising. What does he say? Listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. Do what Sarah tells you to do. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named and i will so this is isaac he's going to make a distinction now between isaac and ishmael through isaac your offspring shall be named and now he talks about ishmael and i will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring so basically speaking this is what god says listen listen to your wife Okay, go ahead and send out Hagar and Ishmael. Go ahead. You can send your son away, your 17-year-old son. Send him away. And how does God comfort him? He says, I'll take care of him. This is what God says. I'll take care of him. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to do something really difficult. I'm going to ask you to do something that feels impossible. But Abraham, you can trust me, right? I've been faithful to you. Okay, remember, when I make promises, I keep them. So listen, Abraham, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. Okay, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make him a great nation. So you're not just sending him out into the cold. I'm going to take care of him. So that's basically what God is saying. But we also have a distinction that God makes here. Okay, God, they're both your offspring. They're both your boys. I love them both, God is saying. I'm going to take care of them both. But then God makes a distinction between Isaac and Ishmael. We'll come back to this too. Because this is what Paul does in Galatians chapter 4 and in Romans chapter 9. But here God comforts Abraham and makes a distinction. He says you have two offspring right now. Isaac and Ishmael. And they have two very different destinies. This is what God introduces here. Paul's going to get into it more. But for now, God just says, listen, you got two boys. I love them both. Going to take care of them both. But Isaac and Ishmael have two very different destinies. And what God says is Isaac. Okay. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is what God is saying. Okay. Both. Both Isaac and Ishmael are physical offspring. But only one of them is your true offspring. This is what God is saying. Only one of them is going to carry, okay, your name and the the spirit of who you are and who I am to you. Okay, that's only going to happen with one of these boys. Okay, so both of these boys are loved by me, but one of them is chosen by me for great purposes. Okay, and that boy is Isaac. 
So that's what he says about that offspring, Isaac. And then regarding Ishmael, he says, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman. So God is saying that both of them are going to be physically blessed by me. Both of them are going to be providentially blessed by me. But my plan and my, I'll make a great nation of Ishmael, okay, physical nation. But only one of them is going to be covenantally blessed. Only one of them is going to be especially blessed. My plan and my purpose that I've promised to you for your family is only going to be through this one boy. And that boy is Isaac. Now we can actually look back historically and we can trace and see that there are very two different destinies of this man Isaac and this man Ishmael. Okay, what do we find? We find that Isaac will become the father of the Jewish peoples. We find that Ishmael would become the father of the Arab peoples. And so most Arab peoples today would trace their lineage back to Abraham's son, Ishmael. And Jews today would trace their lineage back to Isaac. And both Jews and Arabs would call Abraham their religious father. Now, what will happen with Isaac's offspring and Ishmael's offspring? Well, Isaac of the Jewish people, there will eventually be a prophet, the prophet who will come, whose name is Jesus. And from Jesus will become Christianity. And from Ishmael, from the Arab peoples, will come one they name a prophet in the 6th and 7th century. And his name is Muhammad. And from Muhammad comes the religion of Islam. Now today, there is still, right, great tension between Jews and Arabs. Between Jews and Islam. Now we can trace that tension all the way back to a family feud. All the wars that have been fought, all the money that has been spent, all the blood that has been shed because one man went to bed with two women. And guys sleep around today and think it's no big deal. Think of the conflict today between Jews and Arabs. It started as a family feud. It started with a 17-year-old pushing around a 3-year-old. Isaac and Ishmael. It caused us to pause and to think, to take our sin seriously. So verse 14, Abraham obeys. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Abraham obeys God. He's not obeying Sarah as much as he's obeying God. But this must have been difficult for him. This must have been difficult for him. He doesn't give them much. A little bit of bread and a skin of water. Some commentators think he didn't give them much because he was hoping they'd come back. That may be true. He doesn't, he's, he, he's obeying God, but he's obeying God reluctantly. He doesn't want to send his boy away. 
He doesn't want to send the, father, the, the, the mother of his son away. But he does. He, he obeys the Lord. And now here we have this tender story this, uh, of God coming and protecting and comforting Hagar and Ishmael. It's the second time he's done this for Hagar. God has a soft spot, a soft spot for this woman. This is the second time that he's going to meet her in a time of great need. And he's going to speak very tenderly to her. Jesus will do something very similar when he visits with a Samaritan woman at a spring of water in John chapter 4. Okay, so God has a soft spot for this girl. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. So a few days later, the water is completely gone and death feels very close for Hagar and for her son. Okay, she can see that her son is is beginning to waste away. She can see that the time of death is probably really close. And as his mom, she just can't, what it's telling us, she just can't bear it. She just, she cannot, she cannot hold it together any longer. So what does she do? She goes and she has her son uh, lay down under some cover. She, she finds some shade and she goes a bow shot away, maybe a hundred feet away. And she finds a place and she just buries her head in her hands and she just starts to cry. It's so sad. Single mom, totally abandoned. She went from living amongst wealth. Now she's totally broke. She has no home. Now she's got no food. She's got no water. It's her and her son. They've left so much. Now they have so little. And it appears that there is no hope in this situation. Her son's about to die. She can't bear to watch it. She puts her son down, what she thinks will be his final resting place, and lays him down. And then she goes to where she can watch from a distance, not wanting to upset him. And she begins to cry, and she begins to weep. And God is going to come and visit her. Psalm 140, verse 12 says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Now, there's something really important to, to, to notice in, in, in these verses here, because God is going to be good and God is going to going to bless. Now, are, are Hagar and Ishmael, do we have any indication in Scripture that they are God's people? We do not. Do we have any indication that they are believers in God? We have no indication of that. Do we have any indication that they are God's elect people that he is saving and working with covenantally? We have no indication of that. Okay, in today's terms, we would say that Hagar and Ishmael appear not to be Christians. Does God love them? God loves them. Does God provide for them? God provides for them. Does God meet their needs? God's going to meet their needs. R.C. Sproul says, This helps explain how the Lord works out His will. God sovereignly ordains everything that happens, including tragedy, 
But as we see today, he never has the same callous heart as those who cause suffering. In other words, Sarah's intentions here were not good. Did Sarah care? She did not. Was she worried about Hagar and her son Ishmael? No, they'll be fine. They'll be just fine. Just get them out of here. Is that God's heart? That's not God's heart. Is this according to God's will? Was this outside of God's control? Of course not. Did God ordain that this would happen? That Hagar and Ishmael would say, yes, God even told Abraham, listen to your wife. But was God's motive different than Sarah's motive? It was very different than Sarah's motive. His heart is very different than Sarah's heart. It is not callous. It is compassionate. And so he's going to bless this girl. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. So Ishmael's crying too. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. And now he's going to tell her the same thing he told Abraham. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with the water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So remember, God loves people. God doesn't just love his people. God is gracious to people. God is not just gracious to his people. God blesses people. God doesn't just bless his people. The distinction that we must make is between providential blessings and covenantal blessings. Now, we see God's providential blessings pouring out on all people, whether they are Christians or not Christians, whether they are lovers of God or not lovers of God. We see God's providence blessing them. Okay, this is the sun shining. This is the rain falling. This is family and, 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 and nice weather and health and so many of the things that everyone has and enjoys. It's from the hand of God because God loves all people. And there's providential blessings that he pours out on all people. But there's a distinction here. We see that Hagar and Ishmael are under the providential blessing of God, but they are still not under the covenantal blessing of God. They are still not under the covenantal blessing of God. There is a difference. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, God loves you. And you are under his providential blessing. In fact, the greatest way that you're seeing that you're blessed right now is that God has brought you to hear his word. And God has brought you among his people. He loves you. He loves you. And that's a tremendous blessing that he has you here today. And some of you are here today and you're not only the recipient of God's providential blessing, you are the recipient of God's covenantal blessing. It means you are his adopted son or daughter. It means that God is in covenant with you. He's in relationship with you. He has saved you and he has adopted you into his family. And he has made great promises to you, not just to bless you temporally and to bless you in this life, but to bless you eternally. And those promises belong to the Christian and not to the non-Christian. So we have an example here of God's providential blessing being poured out on those who are not his people and God's special covenantal blessing being poured out on his people. In verse 19, one thing to note in verse 19, 
Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And the reason this is significant is, does it say that God um, miraculously made a well of water to appear? It doesn't, right? God opened her eyes. What does that mean? That means that the well of water was right there the whole time. And what did God have to do? God had to open her eyes so that she could see it. The reminder for us is for us to open our eyes and see the providential blessings that are around us. Okay, many of us have a propensity to wallow. Many of us have a propensity to give to complaining and discontentment. And when you're like that, right, I mean, quite physically, the way you look is your head is down. Your head is down. Now, if your head is down, you don't see what's around you. Okay, you're running into poles and you're falling into holes. You're not paying attention. And some of us need to hear that we need to pay attention. We'd pray that God would open our eyes and open the eyes of those around us. Not that God would bring new blessings as much as God would open your eyes to see the blessings that are right in front of you. Have you ever talked to somebody and they're in such deep discouragement and they're distressed and they're depressed and from the outside you're looking, you can acknowledge their pain. And you see that they have real things to be discouraged about. But you also see how much they have to be encouraged about. Like you are alive. And you're a Christian. And Jesus loves you. And He has been your great shield. And He is your good shepherd. And you have provision. And and on and on and on. right? And you think from the outside looking in, how could you be sad right now? And then a few months go by, and you're that person. Right, and you're discouraged, and you're depressed. You're just like Eeyore walking around, right? Nobody loves me. And but someone else is looking into your life saying, how can you be discouraged? I, I get it. I know. You don't have a job. You don't have this. You're not healthy, whatever. But look at what you have. So blessed. So blessed. And this is just over the top if you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that Christians don't get depressed. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. but it means we need to be brought out. And it means we have no reason to stay there. God is so good. Here's Hagar thinking her life is over and within a stone's throw is a well of water for her to drink. But what needs to happen? She needs to get her head out of her hands. And she needs to raise her head. She needs to lift her eyes up to the mountains. Where does your help come from? She needs to look around and she needs to see the provision of God. Matthew Henry said, Many that have reason enough to be comforted go mourning from day to day because they do not see the reason they have for comfort. It's not some new blessing you need. That's the trick. This is what we think. Well, if I just had this, then I'd be happy. If this circumstance would just change, if this would just turn around, then I would no longer be discouraged. That's not that's not the issue. That's not the issue. He says, there is a well of water by them in the covenant of grace, but they are not aware of it. They have not the benefit of it till the same God that opened their eyes to see their wound opens their eyes to see their remedy. This is what we pray for. This is what we pray for. In conclusion, turn to Genesis chapter, Galatians, I'm sorry, chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. 
In the New Testament, we find Paul referencing this very story in Genesis chapter 21 on two occasions. We'll look at one of them, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 and following. Through these words that we're about to read, through these words, God is indicating the difference between Isaac and Ishmael. Okay, there's a difference between Isaac and Ishmael. And not only the physical obvious difference, one is the son of Sarah, one is the son of Hagar, but they actually represent a people. And they are very distinct. And so Paul works that out for us in Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, beginning in verse 21, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? This is great. What does Paul say? Do you read your Bible? This is what he's saying. Have you ever had someone say that to you? You call yourself a Christian. Do you, you, you say you love the Bible. Do you actually read it? Do you read it? Paul is saying. Verse 22. For it is written. And he's going to refer to Genesis 21. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Okay, the slave woman is Hagar. The free woman is Sarah. Okay, your New Testament is going to refer to these moms as the slave woman and the free woman. Slavery and freedom. You're going to be children of slavery or children of freedom. That's where this is going. Verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. What's he saying? Okay, there's two sons, one born to the slave woman, and he was just born according to the flesh. But the son of the free woman was born through the promise. What's Paul saying? One birth was miraculous. The other birth, not so miraculous. Anything miraculous that Hagar, a young woman, had a child when Abraham slept with her. No, that happens every day, right? That's just sort of normal. That's to be expected. Now, how about when 90-year-old Sarah gives birth to a child? That's miraculous. Was a child? This child came along because God made a promise that he had to keep. That's what verse 23 means. Verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. So what Paul is saying is there's a figurative meaning here. Now, this is interesting to see because one of the big discussions that Christians have over Scripture, well, should I take this literal or should I take this figurative? Well, usually your Bible tells you when to take it figurative. Right? So that's what he says here. Do we take this literal or figurative? Well, he says, here's the literal meaning, and now let's look at it allegorically. Figuratively, these women are two covenants. Okay, so what do they represent? They represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? God gave the law. Do this. Don't do this. You do this. You'll live with me forever. If you do this perfectly. You'll live with me forever. You don't do this. You'll be alienated from me forever. This is the law and we're all under the law. Bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. 
So Paul's thinking, look around you. Look at all these people that are here in Jerusalem. Okay, all these people he's talking about now who do not love Jesus, who do not know Jesus. They're just trying to please God by following the law, which is impossible to obey the law perfectly. These are sons and daughters of the slave woman. They are enslaved. What do you mean they're enslaved? They're enslaved to sin. They're enslaved to sin. They cannot obey God perfectly, but they're called to obey God perfectly. So they're sons and daughters of the slave woman. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So this is what he's saying. There's a slave woman, Hagar. Her son is Ishmael, and he has a line of people. There's the free woman, Sarah. She has a child, Isaac, and there's a line of people. These people are enslaved, and these people are free. Sons and daughters of the slave woman or sons and daughters of the free woman. Now, all of you here today are either enslaved or free. You're either a son of Hagar or daughter of Ishmael, or you're a son or daughter of Isaac. And you're either free or you are enslaved. Old covenant, new covenant. You're either under law or you're under grace. I hope we're thinking. Let's read on. Verse 28. Now you brothers... So brothers, now who's he talking to? Christians. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Do you understand that verse? So, so back then, the son according to the flesh persecuted the son according to the promise, right? Ishmael persecuted Isaac. We just read that in verse 3. He's beaten up Isaac. He says the same is true today. Right? In Genesis chapter 3, God said to Satan, I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. There's going to be my people and there's going to be the enemy's people. And it's not going to go well between them. They're not going to get along. One's going to love God. The other's not going to love God. Isaac's going to love God. Ishmael is not going to love God. Their children and their descendants, some will love God, some will not love God. Those who are enslaved to the law will not love God. Those who are enslaved to grace and under grace will love God. So two people here. So your father, all of you here today, is either Ishmael or Isaac. All of our father is Abraham. And your mother is either Hagar or Sarah. That's figuratively what the story is teaching us. Verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So what happens to the children of the slave woman? What happens to those who are enslaved to sin? Do they inherit Abraham's inheritance? Do they live eternally with God? They do not. Is the inheritance for Ishmael and his children? No, the inheritance is for Isaac and his children. The children of the promise. Not the children of the slave woman. Verse 30. 31. 
So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. See how Paul talks to his brothers and sisters in Christ? He says, listen, Christian, whose line are you in? Are you in Hagar's line? Or are you in Sarah's line? Are you, are you a child of just the normal birth? Or are you a child of the miraculous birth? And he looks at his brothers and sisters in Christ and says, we are children of the promise. We are here because of God's miraculous intervention. We are here because of a miracle. So here's the difference. Here's the difference. One side you have Isaac. You have God. You have God's man Abraham. His wife Sarah, who's called the free woman. You have the son of the promise, or the son of the free woman, he's called, or the spiritual seed, the miraculous birth. Isaac, and from Isaac you have the children of God. Now on the other side, you have the dragon. You still have Abraham as a father, right? Two offspring. You have the dragon inciting Sarah to take matters into her own hands and push her husband into the arms of another woman. This child is born normally, not miraculously. This child is called the son of the slave woman, Ishmael is, or the son of the flesh, or the natural seed. And it is not miraculous. This son is Ishmael, and his descendants are not the children of God, but the children of the flesh. The children of the flesh. Children of flesh are enslaved to sin. Now, being a child of the flesh is just normal. There's nothing miraculous there. There's nothing miraculous there. There's nothing miraculous in being enslaved to sin. That's just, that's normal. This is just who you and I are normally. We're enslaved to sin. No one sees somebody just going crazy in sin and says, that's amazing. How do they do that? No one says that. It's the one who actually doesn't sin. That's the miracle. Those who are not enslaved to sin. Okay, so this all brings to the final concluding question for us. Are you, the question to ask ourselves, are you a child of the flesh or a child of the promise? Are you a child of the flesh or a child of the promise? Are you in the line that will be alienated from God forever, a child of the flesh? Or are you in the line that will be with God forever, a child of the promise? Well, how do you how do you know the difference? Well, one's life is just normal, the course of sin having its way, which is downward. And the other is miraculous. This is the difference. What was the difference between Isaac and Ishmael? A miracle. Isaac was born miraculously. So what happens with the children of the promise? They are born what? 
miraculously. How do I know if I'm a child of the promise? Have you been born miraculously? Some of you know what I mean by that. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? This is what happens to the children of the promise, isn't it? There's your normal birth. Right? You all have a birthday. That's your normal birth. You're born according to the flesh. And then some of you have another birthday, don't you? When you're born according to the promise. That first birth was pretty normal. A second, miraculous. The theological word is regeneration. Born again. What is the sign that we are children of the promise? It's that we have been regenerated. We have been born again. We are made new. What happens when you're regenerated? New heart. New desires. New wills. See things differently. Eyes are opened. Ears are opened. Heart is softened. New king. New intentions. New goals. New dreams. Everything turned upside down in your life. You're regenerated. You love God. You didn't love God. You love God. You call Him your Father. You didn't call Him your Father. You want to serve Him and obey Him and honor Him and enjoy Him and proclaim Him. I mean, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You have been regenerated and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are then justified by God. The child of promise, you are justified by God. You are seen as innocent through the blood of Jesus Christ. As now a justified human being... You are fit for God's family. And so he adopts you as his son or as his daughter. And then not only does he adopt you, but then he commits to sanctify you for your entire life and to keep you for your entire life and never let you go. That is a child of the promise. That's Isaac's offspring. And it's miraculous. Nothing miraculous about Ishmael's offspring. Is there something miraculous in your life? Is there something miraculous about your life? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would move in hearts today. That there are eyes that need to be opened now. That eyes would be opened now to see the well of water that is beside them. I pray that they would come and they would drink. They would see that you are good and taste that you are good. And God, that you would be glorified through your people coming to worship you now. So in this time of communion, God, make it special to our hearts. May those of us who believe remember now the cross of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.